Well, if you guys have your Bibles with you, would you uh, go ahead and open them on up to James chapter 1, the book of James chapter 1, and we'll be starting in verse 21 today. And I just, while you're turning there, I do have to make note, um, I appreciate the fact that um, in the bulletin you guys spelled my name correctly. Um, I know there's, is there still a lot of Norwegians here? Nod your head or say amen if you're Norwegian, right? And in Norway, if you're from Norway, you spell it S-E-N, Ander S-E-N. And the story of my life is everybody misspells my name. So I appreciate that about you guys. I am a fellow Norsk at heart, and uh, hopefully that puts me even more in your favor today, right? <laughs> I know some of the roots around here. I know there's some, some good Norwegian roots here at Calvary. So, well, uh, uh, as you guys have uh, uh, turned to uh, the book of James, I want to just uh, prepare to read our passage together first. And one thing we do in my church all the time when it comes to reading God's Word, and I want to just invite you guys, would you stand with me if you're able one more time, just kind of out of respect for God's Word as we read our passage, and then we will, uh, we will dig in. James chapter 1, starting in verse 21, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless." Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word, and I pray right now that you would just speak to each one of us through your Holy Spirit, through your word. May our hearts be open. Lord, convict us, encourage us, challenge us, change our hearts today, we pray. Whatever it is you want to say to us, I pray that you would just meet us each right where we're at. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Well, if you've studied the book of James before, it's one of my favorite books in all of the Bible. And uh, Warren Wearsby actually pulls a theme out of the book of James where where he talks about in his commentary how one of the themes is that of spiritual maturity. What does it look like for us to grow up in our walk with Christ? And this is important because we don't want to be babies spiritually forever. Some of you here, maybe you have young kids or you've had younger brothers or sisters or grandkids. I have three children. If you didn't recognize them here, just... After service, just look for the three cutest kids. Those are mine. 
And let me tell you something. How silly would it look if I were to show up here today acting like my seven-year-old son? You guys would be like, this guy is cracked, right? He's crazy. He's acting like a little child, right? My son thought it was the coolest thing to come into a church that has a balcony. So first thing, we got here a little early, we had to walk up in the balcony, right? As a grown-up, it's like, all right, it's a balcony, right? But how silly would it be if we acted that way? You guys would think that there were some serious issues with this guy. And let me tell you, the same thing can be said of our spiritual walk. John chapter 3, Jesus spoke to Nicodemus when he said to him, you must be born again, not of water, but of the Spirit. And this kind of spiritual rebirth means that there must be healthy spiritual growth and that you continue to move towards spiritual maturity. And James spends five chapters writing about practical things that are a sign of spiritual maturity, spiritual growth in a Christian. And already, if you're familiar with chapter 1, he's talked about a couple of very important topics. He starts right out and he says, have joy in the midst of trials and difficulties and persecutions. That's a mature Christian that, that can do that, right? He talks about receiving wisdom from God. What does he say? If you lack wisdom, ask, and it'll be given to you. If you ask in faith and you believe and don't doubt, God will give it to you abundantly. I love this. In, in, in uh, uh, verse 19, he says, be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Or another translation uses the word wrath, slow to wrath. And these are signs of somebody that is growing up in their faith. They're growing up and they're learning to walk like a Christian ought. And today I want to pick up and in verse 21 where James is exhorting us, he's challenging us regarding the Word of God. You see, as we look at these verses, I want to look at them in light of how we relate to the Word of God. So there's going to be three points for today. If you're a note taker, I'll give you the points right off the bat and then we'll go through the points as we go. Three points for today of how we relate to the Word of God. Three kinds of things that characterize mature Christians in relation to the Word of God. Mature Christians are number one, receivers of the Word. They are number two, doers of the Word. And number three, they are spreading the Word. Receivers, doers, and spreading the Word of God. So let's start out and look at verse 21. What does James say to us here? I'll read it again. It says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. James tells us, and here's a command from the Lord, to receive with meekness the implanted Word of God. Here's a test question for you to test and see if you are a receiver of the Word of, of God. I call it the million-dollar question. It's one of those questions somebody asks you, you want to make sure to have an answer. Otherwise, you might kind of feel a little bit silly, right? I was challenged with this question years ago as a young man, and, and I almost felt a little bit ashamed at times because I felt like I didn't have an answer. 
But it is an important question, and the question is, what is God saying to you lately? And we might have all of the excuses as we hear that question, but let's consider it honestly. What is God saying to you lately? Trust me, I'm a pastor. I've heard all the excuses. We might say things like, well, I don't understand it, or I can't pay attention to the Word. My mind wanders. Yet the same people that say their mind wanders, sometimes they can binge watch Netflix for hours and hours, right? But how can we do this? How can we be a receiver of the Word of God? Well, number one, it starts with laying aside our wickedness, our filthiness, or the, uh, James refers to it as the overflow of filthiness. It's kind of like an overgrowth of weeds in the garden. You might say, well, I can't hear what God is saying. Is it possible that sometimes we don't hear God because our ears are clogged up with an overflow of filthiness and wickedness? Plain old sin, right? Something that we ought not to have as part of our life. Proverbs chapter 30 says this. It says, there is a generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet not washed from its own filthiness. In the original language, this idea of filthiness, it's this, it carries with it this idea of pollution, dirt or excrement or even, even dung. The way I translate that is bird poo. Right? Filthiness, one commentator says, it's like earwax in your ears. It needs to be cleaned out. You can't hear well if your ear is full of wax. You're saying, this guy's talking about gross stuff today. But that's, that's the effect that sin has in our lives when it comes to hearing from God. Have you ever had your ears clogged? Maybe not with earwax, maybe well, with water when you're swimming or something like that, right? What happens when your ears clog? Two things really happen. Number one, it dampens your hearing of others. And it amplifies your hearing of yourself. You ever had that where you feel like your head is in a fishbowl and you can hear yourself really, really well? And I wonder if this is the same kind of effect that happens when our lives get clogged up with filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Rather than hearing what God has to say to us, all we hear is ourselves. Our own self-righteousness, maybe our own self-justification, our petty kind of reasoning to try and excuse our sins, whatever it might be. we got to start with getting that stuff out of our lives. But receiving the Word, it starts with laying aside wickedness. And, and our hearts must be ready to receive the Word of God. I like what James says. He says, receive the Word with meekness. The, receive it the, with meekness, the implanted Word of God. That brings up the question of where's our heart when it comes to the Word of God? Where's your heart when you go to church and you get to this point in church? Or Pastor Sean comes up or somebody else and it comes time to really dig in and to hear from God. Are you critical? How much longer is this going to be? What's for lunch today? What time does the game start? Why does Pastor Sean always do this? Or who is this guy, Pastor Matt? 
Are you critical? Are you dozing off, maybe? Or are you distracted? Let me just remind you guys of something that's important here, and I remind this to my church all the time. Almighty God, creator of the universe, wrote these words just for you. Can I get an amen for that? He wrote these words just for you to inspire you and challenge you and grow you and convict you and encourage you and mature you. How dare we come before the Word of God with a lackadaisical mindset, half-hearted, carelessly coming before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's a question of where our heart is. Where's our heart when we approach the Word of God? Is our heart one that is ready to receive with meekness the implanted Word of God? Jesus told us himself that it's a matter of our hearts. You can look it up for homework, but Mark chapter 4, there's a parable. You've probably, uh, you're probably familiar with it known as the parable of the sower, I prefer to call, to call it the parable of the soils. Because what Jesus talks about, he tells this story of a farmer, a sower, that is sowing seed. And this seed lands on four different kinds of soil. And he goes and he describes the soil, and the, the, the seed represents God's Word. The soil represents our heart. What are our hearts like? Are they ready to receive the seed and bear fruits? So some of the seed falls by the wayside. The birds come and they pluck it up. This is like the Word of God going in one ear and out the other ear, right? It's short-lived. It never takes roots. Some of the seed falls on stony ground, rocky ground, and it starts to take roots, but you know what happens? The roots never get very deep. And when difficulties come, when the storms come, which they will, we're promised it, then these seeds get washed away. These plants get washed away. Some of the seeds get sown among thorns, amongst the weeds. And I like the way it says it in Mark where it says, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out what the Word of God is trying to do. To, to, to bear fruits. This is what James is talking about when he says, lay aside all wickedness, all filthiness. Then there's the seed that is sown on the good soil, the rich, fertile soil, the kind of soil that will allow for the plant and the fruit to grow strong and healthy, soil that is ideal for receiving the implanted Word of God that is sown into our hearts. This is the kind of soil you pay big bucks for at Home Depot to plant your garden, right? This is that good soil. So the question would be, what kind of soil is the soil of your heart? Because James here saw the human heart as a condition uh, uh, like soil where he urged us to pull out the weeds and to prepare the soil for the implanted Word of God. And I would suggest to you that the way we do this, the way we pull up the weeds, it starts with confessing our sins and asking for forgiveness. We have to be able to admit that we're broken. And if we're not willing to confess our sins, you know what? The Scripture actually says that we're deceiving ourselves. 
In fact, we may be cultivating weeds. This happened to me once where we went to Home Depot. We bought, I thought it would be a great thing for the kids to buy a package of some seeds and to plant them in our garden. So we go and we had a big to-do. We plant seeds in our garden and we're waiting and waiting. We start to see little sprouts come up and so we're watering them every day. We're making sure we're doing a great job with these, these little uh, plants coming up. And we're waiting for the flowers to come. And we're waiting. And a couple days and weeks go by. And we're watering them still. Plant food, miracle grow, all that kind of stuff, right? Eventually it got to the point where we realized, wait a minute, this isn't actually flowers that are growing. Are these seeds must have been bad. We were actually cultivating the weeds We were growing a great, I mean, they were the nicest looking weeds you have ever seen. (laughs) But at some point, I had to come to that realization and to admit and say, wait a minute, this isn't what I thought it was. I had to confess and say, this is weeds, we got to get rid of them. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it starts with confessing sin. I would say, too, it starts with having a heart of meekness. This is the opposite of wrath that we talked about in verse 19 briefly, where James says to, to, to not get angry, not to, to have a heart of wrath. And so we are to have a heart of meekness. And when we receive God's Word with meekness, we accept it, we don't argue with it, we honor this as the Word of God. We don't try to twist it and conform it to our way of thinking. So we need to be receivers of the Word, hearts ready with rich and fertile soil for the Word to be planted and to grow. Verse 22, we're cruising through this passage, right? That was all verse 21. But verse 22, let me read for you again here what it says. It says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Point number one was to be a receiver. Now we're point number two, to be a doer of the word, not hearers only. I want to read for you a story from Chuck Swindoll, where he talks about this idea of being a doer of the Word. It's taken from from a book called Improving Your Serve. He says, "Let's, let's play, let's pretend, let's pretend that you work for me. In fact, you are my executive assistant in a company that is growing very, very rapidly. And I'm the owner, and I'm interested in expanding my business overseas. To pull this off, I make plans to travel abroad and stay there until a new branch office gets established. We make all the arrangements. I take my family and I move to Europe for six to eight months. I leave you in charge of everything back in the States. I tell you that I will write to you regularly and give you directions and instructions. I leave and you stay. 
Months go by, and a flow of letters are sent back from Europe, and they are received by you at the national headquarters. I spell out all of the expectations. Finally, I come back. Soon after my arrival, I drive down to the office, and I am stunned. Grass and weeds have grown up high. A few of the windows along the street are broken. I walk into the receptionist room. She is doing her nails, chewing gum, and listening to her favorite radio station. I look around and I notice that the garbage cans are overflowing. The carpet hasn't been vacuumed for weeks, and nobody seems concerned that the owner has returned. I ask about your whereabouts, and someone in the crowded lounge area points down the hall and yells, I think he's down there. So I'm a little disturbed. I go in that direction, and I bump into you as you're finishing a video game with our sales manager. I ask you to step into my office, which has been temporarily turned into a television room for watching afternoon soap operas. What in the world is going on, man? What do you mean, you say? Well, look at this place. Didn't you get any of my letters? Letters, you say? Yes, we got every single one of them. As a matter of fact, we have had a letter study every Friday since you left. We even divided the personnel into small groups to discuss many of the things that you wrote. Some of the things were really interesting. You'll be pleased to know that even a few of us have actually committed to memory some of your sentences and even paragraphs. One or two even memorized entire letters. There's great stuff in those letters, you say. We even have a special high school for kids to go where they can have a special time set aside for studying those letters, complete with weekly chapel letter services. You can see the ridiculousness of it, right? And to which we would say, okay, you got my letters, you studied them, you meditated on them, you discussed and even memorized them, but what did you do about them? And this executive assistant responds and says, do? We didn't do anything. It's interesting for the person that is only a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word, you begin to get a false concept of yourself. It says here that you're deceiving yourself. We get this idea that we've got it all together if we're hearing only. After all, I go to Bible studies I'm studying the Word of God. I go to church on Sundays. I really know the Scriptures. Yes, but are you doing it? The Scripture says, knowledge puffs us up, but love is what edifies. And James gives us an, a great illustration for, here, for us here. It's an illustration of a man looking into a mirror. And I'm guessing that most of you here know what you look like, Right? You've seen yourself enough in the mirror, in our world of social media and selfies and all this kind of stuff. We know what we look like. We would recognize, if I put a picture of you up on the screen here, you would recognize yourself, right? But James gives us this, this picture of this story of a man that completely forgets what he looks like. He studies himself. 
he, he actually uses this word observing, which is like he's, he's studying every detail, every careful scrutiny about himself in the mirror, and then he walks away and completely forgets it. And James is referring to people that can even give that careful kind of scrutiny to God's Word. They may even be uh, 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 regarded as Bible experts, but it still doesn't result in doing. And a healthy person looks in the mirror to do something. Many of you did this this morning, most of you. Got up, you looked in the mirror, you checked your hair, maybe you shaved, you brushed your teeth, you did something about what you saw, right? You put it into action. And a healthy person does that, and a healthy Christian looks into God's Word to do something about it, not just to store up facts that we will never use. Jesus finishes the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7 with a similar statement about being doers of the Word. I'm going to ask you guys to turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Keep your finger in James chapter 1 and turn to, turn to Matthew chapter 7. It's the story of the wise man and the foolish man. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24. This is at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus closes it out by, closes it out by saying this, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But, verse 26, everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was, it, was its fall. I grew up in Sunday school singing the song, right? The wise man built his house upon the rock, right? I believe this parable here is not so much about wise versus foolish. We could use it and say, I want to be wise. But the true wisdom is found in what they did in obedience to what God tells them. Jesus tells us the application. The wise man is likened to somebody who hears my word and does them. A foolish man is somebody who hears the word and does not do it. The wisdom is in doing what God's word says. This was Solomon's downfall. He had all the wisdom in the world, but many, many times did not put it into action. Here's the cool part about it. I love this. In James chapter 1, back there in verse 25, it actually promises us blessing if we do what God's Word says. Now, the Scripture is clear. There's going to be trials. There's going to be difficulties. We're promised challenges in this life. But we're also promised blessing directly related to how we handle the Word of God. And I love this because you find this throughout the Scriptures. 
blessing that is promised related to the Word of God. Joshua chapter 1, it says, Be strong and courageous that you may observe to do all according to the law which Moses gave you, the Word of God. Do not turn, uh, do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left. Why? So that you may prosper wherever you go. There's a blessing attached to how we respond to the Word of God. Revelation chapter 1. You may not know this. Sometimes Revelation can be intimidating, but it's the only book of the Bible that comes with a blessing attached to anybody who reads it. Chapter 1 verse verse 3 says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. There's a blessing attached to the Word of God. Check out Psalm chapter 119. An entire chapter, the longest chapter in the Bible, focused on the Word of God and the blessing that comes through obeying the Word of God. You guys get my point, I think, right? We are to be doers of the Word of God, not hearers only. So receivers, doers. Lastly, the last two verses, I want to talk about spreading the Word. Spreading the word. Verse 26, it says this, If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. You might say, well, how is James talking about spreading the word? And I think there's an important transition happening between these verses, between verse 25 and 26, where there's a connection. James is telling us to be doers of the word. And what is the natural tendency for us then? If you're at all like me, we automatically default to rules and regulations, right? legalism we become like the pharisees it has become then all about what we do and what rules we follow so what is this really about then what are we to do where do we start because i think james here is combating this idea of legalism where we can be like the pharisees and write down every single rule from the scriptures that's not the heart of god for us what does James tell us? He says, first of all, watch your, watch your mouth, right? Watch your tongues. It's just, about, just as much about what we do say as what we don't say. He says there in verse 26, if you think you're religious, but you don't bridle your tongue, you're deceiving your own heart, and this kind of religion is in vain, In the ancient Greek language, that word religious, in the New Testament, it's never used positively. And James uses it here of someone who is religious, maybe on the outside they look good, but really not right with God. And it's evidenced because he does not bridle his tongue. It's empty religion. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus talks about how it's out of the abundance of our heart is what our mouth speaks. So what, what's in our heart, it's revealed by the words coming out of our mouth. And all too often, there are people 
There are Christians even who appear on the outside to be religious, but their mouth gives it away. They're full of empty religion. We need to watch what we say. I adapted what, uh, several years ago when my kids are younger what I refer to as the two-year-old rule. And the two-year-old rule is this. Because you, you know when kids are two years old, they repeat everything you say, right? The two-year-old rule is, if it wouldn't sound right coming out of the mouth of my two-year-old, then it probably shouldn't be coming out of my mouth either. That's a pretty strict rule to try and live by. And there you go. I just did it. Did you notice what I just did? I did it for you. I gave you a rule to follow. This is exactly what James was. I made it religious. I made it legalistic and pharisaic. But, but real religion is, is not shown just by hearing, but by doing it and being able to share it well, to be able to speak well. And if we look at verse 26 there, it's not just about what we say as well, but it, it, well, it's controlling it. Every one of us, there's nobody exempt here where... At some point, all of the things that we talk about here in church, they've got to move from here to our hearts. And at some point, we need to stop kidding ourselves about just saying we're a Christian and actually be more Christian. And at some point, as we're learning great things about God and we're studying the Bible, now it needs to be translated from the pages of the Scripture to the pages of our life. And here's the thing I love about what James says, uh, where it's about controlling our, 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 our tongue and all that kind of stuff. As, as things translate into the pages of our lives, it turns into another principle that I think is it's so near and dear to my heart. And it's the fact that it is about helping the most vulnerable that cannot even help themselves. He refers to it here as the widow and the orphan. Real religion is shown in caring for orphans and widows. Real religion is shown through controlling our tongues, through caring for orphans and widows. This means putting our money where our mouth is. Not just hearing the word, but also sharing God's love through what we say and we do. That is pure and undefiled religion. Helping others. Sharing what we've learned with others. Not only with what we say, but practically as well. Now you might say to yourself, I don't know any orphans or widows. I think James, when he mentions here orphans and widows, he's, he's speaking about two people groups in his day that, that had no way of providing for themselves. They were the most vulnerable they were the most helpless. They were the most hopeless. And the funny thing is, this is what's so funny about us Christians sometimes, the reality is we're all helpless. God didn't wait for us to get our acts together before he helped us, before he did anything. The scripture says, in fact, that God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still stuck in our sin, Christ died for us. And here's what I believe. When, when God tells us to visit orphans and widows, 
He is reminding us to do for others exactly what he did for us. He's telling us to look around our neighborhoods and find those in need, those that are hurting, those that are helplessly caught in their sin and love them. I love the way James said this. I've never seen this before until this time I prepared this message. James says specifically, visit orphans and widows. Visit with them in their trouble. Because sometimes in our American mentality, we feel like we've got to fix their problems, we've got to do everything for them, right? But really the call here is just to be with them. Remember what I talked about before where we talked about ministry to the poor is about relationship first. I'd encourage you, find those people in need and start out with just visiting with them. Build a relationship because that's what it's all about. It's about doing for those that are in need, reaching out to help those in need, being a doer of the word. It's got to at some point be translated into positive actions of reaching out to help those in need. Let me encourage you guys too, when we talk about ministry like this, this is not just for a place like Patterson or Newark. Driving in here kind of took us in the back way. This is a pretty nice area, I would say. You guys know what I'm talking about. There's some pretty nice houses around here. And let me tell you, I know this unequivocally in some of the biggest houses right around here is some of the biggest need. It is 100% true. I used to work for a company and we would, we would provide stone for these houses, these multi-million dollar mansions. And then I would find out after the fact that often there were people that would move into these great houses on the outside and the houses would be empty because they couldn't afford to put furniture in it. I heard about one woman that built this, this $10 million house and ended up locking herself into one of the rooms for years because she was so depressed, so discouraged, so down. She had everything on the outside. There's just as much need. There's people that we can reach out to. These are the widows and orphans in our community. Those that are hurting. That's what we're called to do. So there's three things here, religious, that James says we can do as I close this out. It has to do with what we say. It has to do with how we treat the helpless. And the last thing he says there, we touched on this already, so I don't want to spend too much time on it, but he says, keep yourself unspotted from the world. This is that same idea of getting rid of sin in our lives. Let me challenge you guys. Don't be like, or don't be foolish like the man that James speaks of and he looks in the mirror, and he forgets. He forgets everything that he saw. We can do that. We can hear it, and we can walk out in the craziness of our world, the busyness of life, and we forget what God is really calling us as Christians to do. So I'd ask you, how do you relate to the Word of God today? Are you receiving it with the right heart? Are you a doer of the Word today? Are you spreading the Word of God? 
looking to others, being others-focused, using it to turn around and impact the life of others. If not, it's useless. Here's a quick story, and then I'll close. It's a story about a man in New York City who died at the age of 63 without ever having had a job. He spent his entire adult life in college. During those years, he acquired so many academic degrees that they looked like the alphabet behind his name. Why did this man spend his entire life in college? When he was a child, a wealthy relative died who had named him as a beneficiary in his will. And it stated that he was to be given enough money to support him every year as long as he stayed in school. (laughs) And it was to be discontinued as soon as he had completed his education. The man met the terms of this will. But he did it by remaining in school indefinitely. He turned a technicality into a steady income for the rest of his life, something that his benefactor never intended. And unfortunately, he spent thousands of hours listening to professors, reading books, but never doing. He acquired more knowledge, but he didn't put it into practice. And it reminds me of what James said, be doers of the word and not hearers only. If we read the Bible or listen as it is taught, but we fail to put to work what we have learned, we're as bad as that man with his string of degrees or the man forgetting his face in the mirror. This man here, his his education was of no benefit to anyone. Hearing must be matched by doing. Amen? Let me close and pray for you guys. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, please use your word in our lives. I pray for each person here that they would be doers of your word, that you would work in their hearts, soften our hearts, Lord, to be receivers of your word. Help us to be faithfully doing and sharing. Thank you so much that we have your word this amazing love letter from on high to teach us how to live, to teach us how to grow, how to mature as Christians. So bless us, we pray, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity that I've had just to be here, Lord, and to fellowship with them and to worship you together. Bless, we pray in your precious name. Amen. Thank you, guys.